Hello, everyone, and welcome to DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bonhopper. How are you doing, Ben? Hey, Ryan, how's it going today? It's going really good. Uh, I actually saw you in person. I know, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, Okay, maybe once a year at BlizzCon or suddenly you're in Phoenix. It was a surprising treat that uh, I'm really glad that, that I'm or I'm really glad that, that that it happened. Yeah, it works out. I have I have family in Arizona, so whenever I'm down there, I always like to try and visit with people, especially now that we're actually doing the podcast. It's a lot of fun. We had had some dinner, we talked we talked about World of Warcraft, we talked a lot about D&D. Uh, so yeah, it was good time. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And then you know what? The food was okay. The food was okay. I had a very large salad, which is odd for me, but (laughs) it was, it, it had, it had lots of meat on it. So that, that redeemed. We do salads right down here, I guess. That's right. That's right. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about, uh, campaign prep and backstory. And so we already talked a little bit about starting the campaign in episode one. And so this is kind of a continuation almost of that discussion. You've got your players, you've got your setting, you've got your homebrew or your module. How do you prep your campaign? Ben, how do we prep a campaign? This this is like, (laughs) this is, it sounds really intimidating. We've got our people over here. I've got my, my books or my, my documents for my homebrew stuff, and I'm just looking at it, and I'm just like, oh, boy, where do I start? Yeah. See, that's one of the hardest things, is especially if you do homebrew, because when you do homebrew, it's like, okay, this entire world is coming from my mind. So I, you know, we'll get the, uh, the module thing just out of the way. Basically, the way you prep for the module is read the module. The whole thing. It's kind of important. Very you know, important. Uh, having an understanding of what's going to happen, of uh, different paths that, that the, the players may take and everything is really important. Anyway, so that's the module part. And okay, honestly, I've never run a module myself, so there's probably more that goes into it. But um, I, I can tell you right now, homebrewing is, it, it's kind of like, in my opinion, the bread and butter of Dungeons and Dragons because it, it adds a lot more complexity and everything to it. So prepping for that becomes incredibly challenging at times. And it, it kind of depends on what your actual starting point is going to be as well. Like it, uh, for the current uh, campaign I'm running right now, it was just going to be a one shot. So I basically said, okay, town um, kind of had an idea of a little bit of the surroundings, created a couple people. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll do this. And then we all decided to play longer. So then it's like, okay, going into crunch mode, starting to build out the area and everything. And, and I've, I've got a, a region um, I've got some ideas and neat plot points and stuff that I threw in there too, but I've got to expand more and grow the world a bit. So uh, yeah, it, it kind of depends on where you're going to start. Now uh, I know that you run a homebrew campaign as well. What was your, your big starting point? So my, my whole philosophy on homebrew is I like to start with, with generalities, right? So it's like, okay, here's my world. Here's the name of the world. It's got, some continents on it. Mm-hmm. And those continents have cities on it. I don't know what they are yet. Uh, let's let's 
my, my personal way to do this. And some, some people love world building and will just spend tons of time building absolutely everything out from scratch to start with. There's no problem with that. Mm-hmm. However, that can be extremely intimidating and extremely time consuming. So what I like to do is I like to get the generalities in first and then I like to zoom in. Gets, let's, go, let's go micro level now and pick, pick my starting point. Okay, so all right, uh, my, my campaign started in a little village called Port Dartmouth. It was on the coast, southern coast of one of my continents and boom, from there, and there's, there's some mountains over here, and there's a little bit of forested area that kind of leads into the town, and I knew that's where we are going to start. So I started building that out, and then from there, as your players start to move around or you kind of get an idea of where they're going, you can start then building out kind of in front of the players or around the players, and that allows you to, one, kind of flesh out the world on a, a, a schedule, <laughs> scheduled basis, depending on how much time you have to actually work on these things. And two, it allows you to not waste a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that anything you ever make is necessarily wasted, but if I'm over making some city up in the northern region and my player and fleshing it out and doing all sorts of things. And my players are way down in the Southern region. There's a good chance unless I am developing a specific plot hook and they take it to go to that Northern city. That city probably is not going to get used for a long time. Exactly. And and so you want to work on the, you really want to work on and flesh out the things that you know, your players are going to get to. Yeah. On top of that too, it, it, it's not exactly well. Okay, I, I was going to go at it as it's a need to know basis. Technically, if they don't need to know what's beyond the mountain, if they're not asking or anything like that, it doesn't even need to exist yet. But at the same time, if they don't really know a whole lot of of the entire region and world around them and stuff, and you have a really cool idea for something or a plot hook, or it's like you know what, I think it'd be really neat if uh, the next few encounters or something ended up in grasslands or something. You know, it's like. If they're heading that way, change the scenery, change everything that they're that they're working at, and it, it can kind of help you have just kind of on the spots ideas and everything to just kind of throw it all together and be like, okay, well, this is kind of how this area is, and you know, just make sure you remember that because you don't want to have one session where, okay, we camped in the grasslands, and then you wake up the next morning, okay, in the trees above you, you see, not a good idea because you know you're changing stuff, but just the the whole idea of you know, building out, like you said, has been what I've been doing and I've got my region all set up is pretty cool. And now I'm like, I really want to build more, but I'm like, there's no point because they still haven't hit the major city and another town over here and, and things like that. So I can kind of just have a a far reaching idea of stuff that's over there. Like I have a fantastic idea of a monastery that I want to put in, but eh, it's not in this area. Exactly. And I, I think that segues into a really um, good point for, for the next thing I wanted to talk about is plot hooks. Mm-hmm. So you've got your region, you've got your area, you've got your starting point, you're, gonna, you're in this town, you're on this boat, you're in this mountain range, whatever, right? Now, 
it's up to you to develop interesting story points and give those to the players in a logical, again, interesting way so that they can follow them. Now, it's always good in my experience to have multiple plot points ready. There's, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the term railroading, and I don't think we've really talked about this too much yet. So. so railroading is basically, I am going to take this story idea and I'm going to funnel the players through it and they're going to play this essentially set story and anytime they try it they kind of veer off I put them right back on the path now that is a type of game you can play and it's not necessarily a bad thing either but it is something that if you are going to run a game like that you should make sure the players are all on board because it does take away a lot of player agency when you are trying to tell one specific story. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, modules can be a little more railroady because they have that specific story set. Now, many of the modules from Wizards have a lot of sandbox elements and are fairly flexible in what you can do. Um, Some of them are more specific. Uh, One-shots, in a lot of ways, tend to be very railroady because... You have point A and point B, and you need to get your players from one to the other in a very set amount of time. And so a lot of times those will have, those will be more railroady and people will understand that and it won't be a bad thing and people will have a lot of fun. But you have to decide what type of game you're going to run or if you're going to be more open world sandbox, if you will, type game, in which case you want to make sure you have multiple story plot hooks ready and then allow your players to choose the ones that interest them. Exactly. And one of the neat things that I found is that, you know, you you have a couple plot hooks here, have some there and everything, you know, you can have, uh, like if your, your party's traveling from one place to another, you can always have a, like a, a story element kind of start as like rumors in a city or a town or something like that, and then connect it at the next place that they go or something, you know, you don't need to give them. um, And so this, this would be different than a job board. The job board is specifically, Hey, here are some things that you can do. Whereas, you know, when they're walking around, they might hear murmurings of, uh, Oh, have you heard another kid was kidnapped? You know, this is like the fourth one this week or something like that, you know? Um, include little bits peppered here and there, uh, including what I love to do is backstory stuff from the characters. If there's something that you want to kind of bring in, throw something tiny here or there. It's, it's something that I absolutely love when all of a sudden, you know, everybody's getting up in the morning and stuff after a camp. And I just tell one of my characters, uh, give me a wisdom saving throw. She has no idea why she just does it. I'm like, okay, cool because I've got something going on. <laughs> um, I've got another player who he is, uh, he basically gave me the entire backstory. He came in with amnesia, doesn't know what's going on. He gave me an entire backstory. So I've been peppering little things here and there to kind of help clue him in into like something that happened in the past and everything. And, and I'm not having, you know, five or six different player backstories all weaved together into the same thing because they're different lives. They're different people. 
And when we get to places where something that's relevant for them is, I'll start, you know, kind of throw a little tiny hook in there as well. And this gives the players even more agency to kind of choose, hey, guys, I know that we're, you know, trying to save the world and everything, but this guy knows my dad. I want to talk to him or, or something, you know, it just, it gives you a little tiny divergence that might blow up into something bigger. Uh, they, some people just might see them as just random side quests that they might come back later on and pick them up. But it, it helps make the world feel just that much more lived in if other things are going around and happening that have nothing to do with your players or might have something that kind of keys into something that happened in the past. Exactly. And I don't know exactly how you you like to prep your sessions. And we'll talk about that in a second too. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, we, we as dungeon masters normally have limited time and we need to be as efficient in preparation for sessions as possible. And one of my biggest things is the reuse recycle law. Um, I try technically... Technically, the the game I run usually only meets about once a month. And so we run for five, six hours, or we try to, to make the most of our time. And I've been blessed with a really efficient group who's, when we start, they're very into it, they're very on point. And so we can usually get quite a bit done that allows us to justify playing only once a month, which is, which is awesome. Um, but even then, I only I tried not to spend more than a few hours prepping, and that's just from my time. I mean, you you only have so many hours in a week. You've got other stuff you've got to do, and all that type of thing. So you want to try and be as efficient as possible. So personally, what I like to do is I have a story list. So it's a Google document, and it's split up into four different parts. I have a main arcs part, which is, okay, here's the overarching story. And there might be, you know, two or three points on that. That's the, this lich is trying to take over the world. Or this- so often too. It it really does. (laughs) Uh, Or this city is at war with this city. Or um, this warlock is trying to summon Tiamat or something like that. So those are your, your big, your big plot points. Mm -hmm. Um, Then under that, I have what I call side stories and these are kind of bigger things, but they don't necessarily tie in to any of the main arcs, although they could if you wanted them to. And so this is just like, there's a white dragon in the mountains of this region that mm-hmm. controls this region. Um, there's a, a group of dwarves that are making this war machine over in this region. And they're having trouble with the orcs that live there. So those, those type of things, those are your, those are your side stories. And then I have what I call road encounters, which are things that I use for while they're traveling. Mm-hmm. So these would be like you encounter uh, a hill giant layer or a one and then they don't all have to be combat either. Mm-hmm. That's the cool thing. Um, and they shouldn't be. Uh, 
there's a lot of really fun things you can do with role-playing encounters. Like you encounter a traveling wizard salesman who's a bit shady and is selling slightly off spell scrolls. <laughs> I, I actually did that with one of mine, like uh, a fireball that uh, everything smells like burnt hair. Uh, an, invisibility, an invisibility scroll that makes everything invisible except you. So like all your clothes, gone. Uh, a teleport spell that teleports <laughs> all your clothes <laughs> and not you. Hey, see the theme here. There's is a theme. It's your clothes. <laughs> it's super funny in game. Super, super funny. Um, but there's, there's all sorts of, of fun stuff like that you can do. Um, And what I like to do with a lot of these encounters is you make them generic. You have an idea or you have some sort of hook or you have a theme and then you kind of build a small encounter around it, whether combat or role play or maybe something that could be either. And then you can then drag and drop these into almost any location perhaps slightly reskinning them. Or if you have something planned, your players miss it or they go past it or they ignore it. You can say, okay, well, you know, I worked kind of hard. That was a really good idea. And I mean, you guys, okay. I mean, it's, I guess sandbox, they can do what they want. So what I'm going to, so then what I do is I say, okay, boink, pick that up, put it back in the bag, may drop it again later. Slightly different situation, slightly different skin. Exactly. And little things like that, they help, again, feel, the, feel like the world is more populated. If you just have every single thing that they end up you know, encountering is, is some sort of you know, combat encounter or people are trying to rob them or cheat them out of everything, then they're going to start not trusting any other NPC that you throw at them that you know, is there for... <laughs> You know, like information or, I don't know, a shopkeeper or a random kid who delivers a paper, you know, whatever. It's one of those things where how do we stop them from becoming murder hobos? By giving uh, or, them- <laughs> yeah, every situation can't be bad. Exactly. You need to have, you need to have some situations that allow them to trust mm-hmm. <laughs> because you will need them to be able to, to try. I have information for you about your daughter. What's your angle? <laughs> I don't believe. How do you know you my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, just that lived in feel is it, it can be easy to do, but hard to master. And that's one of the neat things about, you know, especially when you enter populated areas, you know, have their be enough hustle and bustle going around where they don't need to talk to every single person, but they get kind of an idea of what's going on in the world when they're out traveling and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of hard to be like, okay, there's seven days of travel. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. We're done. You know, make something happen on a couple nights. Watch, uh, they do something, something tiny and just minuscule, but have repercussions for it. Like, okay, who's cooking dinner, then have them roll like some sort of performance check. And then if it's low enough, have a couple of people roll constitution safe. See if they get sick from, you know, and, and they have to go a little bit slower the next day. You know, it, like just tiny little things like this just fill the world with different encounters that help accentuate just the, the big plot devices as well as the downtimes. And that's some of the things that are most memorable too. 
Exactly. And speaking of populating the world too, and this is one of the things that can also be very intimidating is NPCs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could be, it's, it's, it's very hard sometimes to figure out where players are going to go. And it's also very hard to set up every single town with every single building and every single person that you may or may not need. So even in a small village, it's just like, okay, there's a general store. I got to have a person. There's a, there's a blacksmith. There's a, there's a town guard captain. There's a, there's a mayor. There's a, uh, this other artisan, this, this leather worker. Um, there's, there's some other merchant over here. There's a, there's a healer. So I just like, ah, 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 so many, so <laughs> many things. And so a lot of times you have no idea what your party are going to do mm-hmm. in the town, especially. And so a lot of times just to make it easier on yourself, have a general idea of what is in the town. Or if one of your players asks, Hey, can I go to a, is there, is there a store around here? Is there, is there a market? You can take your town location and then on the fly go, okay, hmm, this is a fairly well-populated town. Yeah, I would have a market. And then you say, oh yeah, sure. There's a, there's a market here. Mm-hmm. You can ask around a little bit and someone will totally point you over there. Uh, one of the best things you can do and to help yourself out and we'll probably do a whole episode on improvisation because holy crap, that is just, is, it is, it is a taught skill. Anybody can, anybody can be taught to do it. And that is the episode where we'll have no show notes whatsoever too. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the best things you can do, and I, I do this too, is have a list of descriptions and names Mm -hmm. and you can kind of, uh, curate this based on the area the players are in. If the players are in an area with mostly humans, I have a list of like 10 male human names, 10 female human names, just there. And then when they walk into that market and start asking around, I can be like, oh yeah, uh, uh, Hilda Swankhart is over there and she's ready to sell you stuff. And I, and then I can just then jot a note down. She sounds like a butcher to me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she's selling meat. Yeah, yeah. Big big lady, uh, larger but doesn't have an ounce of fat on her. Mm-hmm, Got this red brown hair, the stern look, and a big old cleaver. <laughs> and so yeah, you just and that's that's something you can do too. Descriptions. Just have some uh, a list of three or four descriptions for male and female characters. Boom. I have now connected a random name with a random description. And I now have this butcher character that didn't exist five seconds ago. And then as the DM, I make a note next to these names and say, Hilda butcher in X village. And then next to the description, I write her name. And boom, now I can refer back to that or add it into a note section later in this town that I have made that says, Hilda is a butcher in this town. And so you can do that kind of stuff on the fly and it's, it makes, it really adds character to the, 
the town and just the overall game and story rather than just saying you find a butcher. Exactly. And even more so if the, the, the players come back to that town and you know, the, Oh, this is where, where Hilda lives. Let's go see Hilda. You know, it, it gives the, that world again, a little bit more life. That's going to be my theme for the day. Apparently it's just a little bit more life. And being able to come back to those characters, being able to, to see the same people again, you know, makes it that much more real in the player's eyes because it's a place that has static characters. You know, you're not leaving and then coming back and then, okay, we're going to butcher. And it's just, you know, a really quick, you know, encounter of uh, maybe just saying, okay, what do you want to buy? What do you want to sell at the end? Whereas, if they're going to see Hilda, that could be, you know, a five, 10 minute conversation with Hilda. Maybe she's interested in what's going on. Maybe she's asking you to, to bring back a, you know, a stag, you know, maybe she's low on venison or something like that. It, it, it could be any of those little things. And that's something that's really fun, especially if you just kind of created it out of nowhere. Uh, in my campaign, I created a love interest out of nowhere because someone just randomly asked, Oh, do you have a girlfriend? And I'm like, he doesn't, but he's interested in someone. So let's figure this out right now. And it turned out to be kind of more of a plot point that, that carried over later on in the game when uh, she ended up getting hired back at the same inn that he worked at. And then other stuff happened where they got split up for whatever reason. And I mean, it's just, it is a little taste of reality in there and it turned out to be really fun. Yeah. And you never know which random improvised NPCs will stick. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them, they're, they're just going to be there and they'll be gone and you'll just make your note and it'll be good. But some of them, the players will get attached to mm-hmm. for one reason or another and may become a reoccurring thing during that, that plot or in that town or even in the larger story in general. I mean, it's, and that's where those descriptions come in because they can kind of give you a little idea of, oh, this character likes this and they like to do this and these are their wants and needs or that type of thing. Or maybe they, they've got some identifying feature like this big old scar down their face and the player's like, how you, how'd you get that scar? And you're just like, well, let me tell you while I make this all up on the spot. Or that's a rather personal question. And then, Ooh, he's got something to hide. Different ways. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, lot of really interesting stuff you can do with that. Yeah. And you know, Um, you are totally right when you say be ready to improvise some of this stuff. Cause I actually created a, 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 an old, uh, like kind of elder elvish woman to run a magic shop in my campaign. And I totally had an entire idea, everything that was going to happen, you know, or not happen, but you know, like her whole attitude and everything like that. As soon as the players arrived, I realized, Oh no, with how this is going, everything changed. And she, you know, I, I kind of changed her personality, how everything was going to work out with her and stuff. And now the players absolutely love her. They love seeing her. And they visited probably two, three times or so. And it, I love playing her. She's a really awesome, fun character. So then because she became so much more beloved, I gave her more of a backstory, tied her into another NPC that they met somewhere in there. And there's a lot more to her now than before. And hey, if they do anything with that, great. If not, I've got a really cool story for a backstory for a character. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So 
like I said, we'll, we'll do a whole episode on improvisation, but in general, hopefully a lot of these tips will be handy for you in getting your campaign going and getting it started. Um, Ben, I know you've been mentioning, and again, great segue, uh, backstory <laughs> mm-hmm. quite a bit. And so let's, let's kind of shift over a little bit to the player perspective. Um, building a big backstory, but not only building a good backstory, working with your DM to work it into the world. Yes. Yes. It, it's one of those things where now, okay, I'm in no way a writer, no way an author, anything like that. But whenever I try to create a character for myself, I really try to give, you know, a good idea of, you know, one or two like big events or something that happened in the past that kind of, you know, pushed them onto the road of adventuring or, 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 you know, at least away from what was familiar, because especially with like a level one character or at least the low levels, this person has seen some stuff. They, they, they're out in the world. They're doing something. So why? And with fifth edition, when you're going through the character creation, there's, a, you know, fantastic tools in there that give different kind of uh, uh, backstory archetypes that you can kind of build off of. They give a couple different suggestions for different things that you can do. And it's just the bare minimum of information. And when you take some of that stuff, and, you know, kind of start growing on it. And um, like, just for instance, um, let's see, I think Folk Hero is one of the ones that, uh, yeah, my cleric has a, a Folk Hero as a backstory. It's like, okay, well, why are they a Folk Hero? Then you can go through, kind of uh, figure out what happened. In his case, uh, it, something tragic happened and he was able to, you know, save a whole bunch of lives. Uh, the, the, he was a dwarf. There was actually a cave in where he was. Um, and he was able to, to keep everybody alive, safe, and things like that until rescue crews came in and, and, and got there. Because of that, he's, he's just known. You know, he's, he's happy. He's going around. Uh, people in that area definitely know who he is. And, you know, they'll, they'll buy him a drink if he's in the bar, you know, things like that. And then based off that, you know, I turned him more into a cleric. And he, because of that, like his goddess, um, Lydra, is like, Oh, you, you help preserve life. And that's kind of how, like how he got his calling for that. And, you know, it just, you, you, you take the bare minimum from what D and D beyond or D and D beyond. Well, yeah, D and D beyond, but also like wizards of the coast and everything kind of gives you and then just, you know, stretch it and, and grow it and, and throw a couple things at it and see what kind of feels right for you. You know, it, um, if I was trying to be a rogue or something, Folk hero might not be the best background because, you know, it, depending on the type of rogue you're going with, maybe you're trying to be sneaky. Maybe you're trying to, you know, work your way into high society or something along those lines. And being a folk hero isn't great because you're known at that point. How do you work it in? Conversely, maybe that's the angle of how you get in. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can kind of play around with some of this stuff that finding what fits for the idea behind your character is really important. It takes a lot of thought, but then as you were saying, Ryan, working it in with your DM to bring it into the world is really the best path you can take. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the really important things. And you, you kind of, there's kind of two ways you can do it and working with your DM, especially in a homebrew setting, uh, a lot of times as a DM, and we, we talked about this a little bit, 
giving your players information about your world Mm -hmm. so that they can use that to help build their characters in. And then that's, that's the specific character background. It's like, okay, thanks DM for this world map. Okay. My character is going to be from uh, this specific point in this town. Um, Who's the, what's, what's the the atmosphere, the color, um, the, the general, like, the vibe there potentially like what races inhabit this area, that type of thing. And then you work with your DM to kind of build that in. Whereas otherwise you can take a little bit more of a hands-off approach and build generally kind of like I'm a folk hero from this undetermined place. And this is my God. And I did such and such thing and I knew such and such people and whatnot. And then with those general backstories, the DM can then look at that and take it and go, okay, I can weave that into the world here, here, and here. And in some ways, it's kind of fun because then you as a player get to discover things as the story progresses rather than knowing everything yeah. beforehand. Exactly. And that's one of the big challenges that uh, I'm, I'm looking at with you know, my friend who, again, has amnesia. I know everything that happened with that and you know, seeing those little key details brought to him are interesting. Um, as a player, I like having, you know, somewhat of a sense of what's going on, but if all of a sudden we get to a town where it's like, Oh, it's so-and-so and you recognize blah, and they, they pull out a name from your backstory. It's a, it's a great feeling of like, one, the DM remembers and like listened and knew what was going on, but even more so, they're incorporating you into their world. And because of that, you know that, okay, well, with this instance coming up, it's going to be something more personal towards my character, something that is, you know, either completely out of nowhere that's going to affect, you know, maybe a family thing in the past or, or something in the future, or it, it could be an ally that you never knew that you had in game. You just kind of mentioned them some, somewhere before uh, in, in the story. Um, one other fun thing you can really do, and this is something that you have to talk to your DM about because they have to be willing to do this. Um, but this is a really cool homebrew rule. And I believe it originally came from, um, someone named David Nett. And, uh, I'll I'll just kind of read through the, the Twitter posting of this real fast. Basically it's, um, the, I know a guy rule. Uh, it's meant to create moments uh, like when Han decides he can go to Lando for help, but isn't hundred percent sure how Lando will actually receive him uh, in any situation where it makes sense. A player care player can declare, I know a guy and then quickly sketch that NPC in their relationship. Few, the fewer details, the better that leaves room for the DM and the, the players to, to kind of play around with it upon declaration. The NPC exists Then when the players try to interact with the NPC, the player who created the NPC makes some sort of charisma role to see how the NPC reacts. Depending on the situation, the DM may decide advantage, disadvantage applies. And he's found that this simple and very loose mechanic invites players to create critical NPCs and continue developing and revealing backstory as they play. Um, And now it belongs in the world. I love this. I really love this idea because not only does it allow them to create interesting situations 
and get them invested in the world, it also now gives the DM another toy to play with, essentially, within this world. And not all the meetings are going to go great, which could be, which is, I love those type of situations. This could be some long lost buddy. And that's why it says, you know, keep it, keep it light Mm -hmm. on the details. Some long lost buddy and they could react to them super poorly and all of a sudden just like attack them on sight because this character, the, the player character slighted them or ripped them off or did something like that in the past. Mm-hmm. Or they could be like, oh, dude, it's you. And there could be a big thing and they could have some critical piece of information the player characters are looking for. And it be, then the player is that much more invested because they had a hand in creating this. And that's, that's the whole big thing about this just in general is the collaborative storytelling between the players and the DM. You both, uh, you all working in concert to create this world in this, this game you're playing. Exactly. And and the idea of keeping it, you know, kind of light works totally well because one of the things just as the, the example you gave that, you know, between Han and Lando, I love it when he just, uh, you know, true is just, and, Han just kind of looks at him and he's like, that was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen with that? It, it gives just that, that little amount of like uncertainty that, you know, a lot of this world it, it can kind of throw at you and everything. And like when I read that, that whole description and everything like that, I'm like, okay, immediately I am using that from now on because it's awesome. But I love the idea of fleshing out backstory and of, you know, character growth and development and stuff continuously throughout the game. You know, you, you come up with your backstory, you have it there. It's set great. What if something else were to pop up and another thing and another thing. And again, it, it makes your, your characters feel so much more, you know, live because they have depth to them and, you know, pay attention when things are like things like this are happening to the other players at the table as well, because who knows someone might end up getting just incredibly mad. If you don't pay attention to their backstory and know that goblins killed their mom and you're just buddy, buddy with the first goblin you see, it's like there might be kind of, you know, some, some tension there caused because of that. And learning the other players getting to know them and stuff is just like in real life getting to know your friends and know what's going on with them like i mean who knew when i met ryan i had no idea that he had a fear of chihuahuas but you know i'm glad that i found out because if i mean deadly yeah exactly (laughs) that's improv but uh no it's just (laughs) one of those things where you learn more about your friends you know think about this as characters who are traveling companions they're going to learn a lot about each other because they spend so much time together. And even if in-game time is only like four days, they're still going to learn a little bit. And then as they level up, they're going to learn more. As they level up, they're going to learn more. And it's, it's just going to continuously grow. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's just, there's, a, there's just a lot of different elements. And remember, too, as you're creating the backstory, not all backstories have to be tragic. Oh, definitely not. I know that's, I know that's a trope and it can be really good. Um, and, and in fact, it's, it's super funny because now that I'm kind of like thinking at my, my own characters, 
they all have tragic backstories. <laughs> <laughs> one of them lost his parents to giants. Uh, one of them, his parents were framed by the corrupt church and murdered. One oh. of them, his the half orc, his dad was a human. His mom was the orc and he was ostracized from his tribe. And then the other one uh, was basically like a forbidden love thing. Wow. I, uh, it's, 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 there's some, there's some dark stuff (laughs) apparently in my thing. Uh, but you know, not all the, your backstories have to be sad. Well, let me tell you about some of mine. <laughs> so uh, let's see the the cleric that I was telling you about. Uh, his family's still alive. They're they're still under the mountain somewhere. So yay, you know, good, happy. It's good. Let's see. Um, oh, there's a huge long backstory in plus five to hit that you guys are never going to learn about the the sorcerer that I'm playing. <laughs> but uh, let's just say that one's tragic. Only survivor after uh, pirates raided his ship. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, yeah. a good one. Um, I'm not going to mention anything about a different character because that's something for the future. Um, the the droid that I play in my Star Wars game, uh, I used to be an Imperial droid, and then uh, the ship that I was on was in a big battle, crashed on this junk planet, got my memory erased, got put back together. I still have some of that Imperial knowledge, but I'm uh, one of the Rebels now. But uh, that's kind of a good story because uh, my 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 owner is like super awesome and nice and. So, you know, better times and yeah, you can, it's like, you, I guess, I guess the, the myth to dispel is it doesn't, ha- your backstory doesn't have to be tragic to mm-hmm. make a good story. Yeah. You can still get a good story out of like, I just went out adventuring cause I'm trying to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, in, um, I'm pretty sure it's uh, Xanthar's guide to everything. Um, there's added like dice tables to use for backstory stuff. You know, like uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? You know, are your parents still alive? And, you know, like absolute like normal things from growing up that they've added in there. Like, and just seeing some of that stuff was like, Oh yeah, I can make an adventurer who doesn't, you know, have a problem with self loathing and, you know, want to just run into every battle because I just want to feel something, you know, like not every character needs to be an edgelord with a backstory. And, some of those really happy, fun ones are kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, they can bring they can bring good moments of light and levity <laughs> to sometimes otherwise bad situations. Oh man, the uh, the the Thor the Thor the gnome barbarian that I was trying to uh, make a little mini Thor for that that backstory was really tragic. Entire family was killed by wolves. He couldn't save them because he was knocked out because he was struck by lightning. I was going the the whole elemental path or whatever. I forgot what it was called. Yeah, that was a bad one. <laughs> he had a lot of rage issues, <laughs> which, you know, fitting, but, oh, it was bad. Yeah, like my, uh, my elf wizard I play. Um, his worst thing is daddy issues. That's it. Like, it seems to happen a that, lot with elves, actually. Yeah. I think it's because they live so long and they have very high expectations thrust upon them. Exactly. When you live for so long, you need to accomplish so much. And if you're just out there to just kind of, you know, enjoy yourself or whatever, elves look down on you. Yeah. Or if you come from a family line of warriors and you want to study in the arcane conservatory, mm-hmm. 
that's round round upon. Yeah, but it's an entirely different. Like, I'd be more impressed with the Arcane Conservatory personally. Same, same. Yeah, it's like that takes a, a level of discipline that those warriors will never understand. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's my <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my take on it. Uh, um, any any other last um, tips you want to leave with people um, for backstory stuff? Well, this is kind of more up to the DM, of course, but depending on you know, what you do for your backstory, what you write, there is always a possibility that, you know, based on collective experience, the DM could, you know, kind of raise the starting level, which has happened in, in my Star Wars game because, you know, we all wrote our backstories, figure out what we're going to do. And then he's like, well, based on the stuff that's happened, I figure you guys are about level three. So it worked for us, you know. Um, another thing is, is uh, like maybe a specific special item or, or something that your DM will give you based on, on stuff that happened in the past. Like, you know, maybe have like a, a family heirloom that's been passed down for generation or generation or like a sword that's been in the family or uh, something that you stole or, you know, something along those lines. You know, it could be something special or meaningful to your character or even something like negative to your character that you have. And it just gives a little bit more, uh, more to kind of, you know, play around with. Totally agree. Um, I, my campaign, I started at level two because they had been through some stuff already. And I'm going to segue into something I forgot to talk about while okay. we were, while we were in the camp, the campaign prep, but, but essentially, uh, the party had met in the mountains. They had killed, uh, an ogre, an injured ogre, who was trying to find easy pickings and that's where we started. And so that was the justification for level two. Also level two is a little easier to work with and I don't have to have fear of accidentally killing my players with a goblin arrow crit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Um, So, and then like uh, later on when one of my players left for, for life reasons and we recruited somebody else in, he was coming in at level five. And so I didn't want, I wanted him to have some special stuff. So based on his backstory, I gave him this magic item club that was special to him because it was a family heirloom handed down. And so stuff like that, it just, it just works really well. Um, But the thing I wanted to kind of cover before we jump into our community section is the start. And this is, this is, very vital in campaign prep, especially your very first time when you're starting to run the game. Um, You have to figure out, okay, how do these characters meet each other? And honestly, this can be one of the most awkward (laughs) sessions to run um, because you've got the, you got the old, old trope of, everybody meets in a tavern which is how my campaign started (laughs) gotcha um but a lot sometimes especially for newer players that can be really hard that can be really awkward um the players kind of having to invent some contrived reason that they all go to the same table together or whatever. And so there's, there's a few things you can do to kind of help that along. Um, the way I did of, it was yeah. zombies attacked and they all started fighting together. Yes. And that is, that is a hot start. Um, that is, that is a great way to throw players together is say, okay, 
We're not going to do a bunch of like, oh, hi, I'm Bob. Cool, Bob. I noticed you across the tavern. You looked interesting. That's a nice thing, cause that's you've got there, Bob. Yeah, My name is Ted. Because that's just kind of awkward for everybody, especially new players who aren't really um, aren't really comfortable role-playing yet. Yeah, it, it's like and the so, D&D version of speed dating when you just exactly. try to throw the party together <laughs> as fast as you can. Exactly, exactly. Because you want to get them together. You want to get them playing so that you can start progressing and moving through. And so a combat very quickly or right off the bat can be a great icebreaker and then be a great segue into thanks for helping me or bringing the guard in afterwards and being like, you guys fought great. Please come with me. I need to question you, blah, blah, blah. Or it can lead to bigger things. So that's, that's a great way to do it. Um, another way to do it is start with the party knowing each other. Mm-hmm already um that's what i did in mine uh and then they started at level two but they had all known each other for a few days so the first session before we started we sat around and i was like okay everyone kind of introduce your character and give a brief description and a brief little bit about your character that everyone else could have found out in the last three days and that helped, and that was a nice little icebreaker. Everyone kind of knew each other yeah. already, so you didn't have to go through the awkwardness of meeting each other, and you could get right into the the action and the story. Uh, so there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. The one of the campaigns I'm in right now, we he he broke us up, and so I knew one other dude, and one of the other dudes knew one of the other dudes, and so we had we worked out some backstory of us knowing each other for X amount of time together. And then we were thrown into a situation, but we already, at least parts of the party already knew each other. And so it was much less awkward because everybody knew somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, in the star Wars campaign that I'm running in, so I'm the droid of, you know, one of the characters and she's the engineer on a on our ship who, you know, we have a pilot for. So the three of us knew each other and we've been around like together for years at this point. Um, the other three characters, we basically, we landed somewhere. We're like, we need cash, you know, think Firefly essentially. So we all went out to go try to find a fare to, to take somewhere. And, uh, you know, there's the other three members. We brought them in and, you know, they're just kind of with us. And based on some other thing, the story kind of started and now we're, you know, adventuring together. Just, the three of them just kind of like, Oh, this is, I, I was kind of like pulled into this, but it makes sense why I'm here now. So it worked out really well for us and I'm really enjoying that game too. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So just, just kind of as an aside uh, before, before we jump out of this topic, cause it is, it is a hard thing or it can, it can be an awkward thing. So finding kind of ways to, to make it easier on yourself and your players is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to our community content, uh, first off, I wanted to give a shout out to the D&D Essentials pack that just released a week or two ago, mm-hmm. uh, June 24th, I believe. It is currently exclusive to Target, um, but it will be sold everywhere, I believe, in September. I think it's like a three-month exclusivity thing. Um, and it's cool because it actually comes with a D&D Beyond code inside the box. Yay. 
to unlock all that content on D&D Beyond as well as coming with a code for 50% off the player's handbook on D&D Beyond. That's pretty good. So that's really cool. And you can give that away if you've already got it. But I wanted to shout this out first off because this is a very cool, very well-made starter kit. It's only 25 bucks. And if you're a new DM, uh, especially if you're a new DM or a new player, uh, this is a fantastic starting point. It's got a lot of great rules and tips uh, for a new DM. It has a lot of systems that enable a new DM to run things very well. It's got like a, this quest system, which is really cool. So that like these quest cards that allow you to run these fairly contained adventures, but there's an overarching story as well, which is really cool. Uh, it introduces rules for companions, which allows you to have uh, this extra NPC if you have a smaller party or if you're playing a variant and doing one-on-one D&D with just like the DM and, and a player. Uh, so that's really cool. It comes with uh, a full set of dice, um, like two D20s and some extra D6s so that you can roll stats. It actually has a nice deal that walks you through creating a character um, and it also takes place in the same town, uh, Vandelver. Did I say that right? I think so. I, I've never actually uh, used the that module. The, the essentially the Lost Mind, which is the starter kit. Um, it takes place in that same town. Comes with a cool map of the region, a cool map of the city, um, and even a DM screen with amazing art that is. That art needs to be put on a better quality material for a DM screen. <laughs> it's not the uh, most high quality DM screen in the world, but it works if it's your first one. I just want that art on a high quality DM screen. Please, wizards. I will take, take my money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to shout that out because that is it's an excellent, excellent starter pro- uh, product. And especially if you're looking to get into DMing, that would be a great module to start with. Yeah. And as we said before, to DM that, make sure you grab it, you read the module, and then you read the small section that you're running a few times before the actual session starts. But the nice thing about this is each session, each little quest, three or four pages. Yeah, and the the fact that it comes with the one-on-one kind of DMing rules and everything like that, that's something that I'm really interested in because I really feel like my mom would enjoy playing if she just tried it. That's so awesome. I'm kind of, in, in, in a sense, trying to get to that point where it's like, hey, we're going to run something. Just have fun with this. We're going to play a game. Exactly. Would, would you <laughs> like to play a game? Um, the other product I wanted to talk about and this is kind of going with uh, our campaign prep talk is uh, and this is pretty much exclusively for DMs it is called Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master by Michael Shea and it is uh, it goes by Sly Flourish if that might ring a bell to you if you're he's very big in the D&D community. He's been around a long time, uh, but he's written this book called Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And it essentially walks you through all the steps of campaign prep, all the essentials without 
taking tons of time up. There are so, 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 so many good tips in this from uh, campaign design, encounter design, uh, items, backstories, plot hooks, all sorts of stuff. It's like eight bucks on Kindle and like 13 bucks for the paperback. Super cheap. Highly recommend this. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, give it a look, especially if you're new uh, DM or a DM that's got a little bit of experience under their belt, but is looking to kind of further their skills. I cannot recommend this one enough. Very cool. That sounds really awesome. I'm going to have to check that out because uh, I, I don't think I really mentioned too much, but and uh, you know, we'll get there when we actually come to the, the full prep episode, but yeah, I, I do about an hour or two, but I feel like it's just enough. So if I can cut that down even more, I will totally do it. Yeah. And you might find some tips. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Definitely. Very good. Um, so before we wrap up the show, uh, we usually like to talk a little bit about what's going on in our current games that either we're running or we're playing in. So Ben, what's, uh, what's been new with you since the last time we talked? Oh man, the game that I'm DMing, we got to play again and it has been a while. So if you remember, this is the group that uh, I made totally paranoid. <laughs> well, good news is they've now taken out four of the five doppelgangers that are in town. Um, they, they went to the basement. They rescued Lord Colville and his trusty uh, servant Bernard, uh, took care of some drow. And I got to say, it was a pretty decent fight. Uh, in fact, they went from one fight right into that basement fight because the, the previous one was the, the last session. So, you know, they're actually a little low on spell slots and everything. It, it worked out really well and made combat a little bit more challenging. And unfortunately, I, I, I got to do a little bit better with uh, my drow coordinating with each other because the one who I had cast darkness, I really should have had the other one do it because, well, it, it would have made a lot more sense. And there was a chance I could have had that drow get away. But uh, no, they, they destroyed her in the end. <laughs> But she tried to take the Bart or no, the, uh, the rogue with her didn't succeed though, but, uh, it was close. That's awesome. Um, for me, unfortunately, uh, due to scheduling, we're, we're not going to get to do our July session for the game. IDM. We're going to, we've got it set currently for August 2nd. So I've got some really fun ideas for that. It's going to be kind of like, uh, they're going to finish their current job in the, the weird pocket dimension wardrobe. <laughs> it's going to be super fun. And then they're going to go, uh, they want to go check out the arcane conservatory in the, the main city. Um, the hunter really wants a Griffin now that he's visited the Griffin hatcheries. So who knows, maybe they'll end up doing an oceans 11 style heist and try it. Oh, which would be super fun for me. <laughs> um, so that, that'd be fun. And then they've got this, uh, they're, they're thinking of taking this other job from the notice board that basically just said, uh, a warlock summons something in the basement and we're all scared. Someone come, <laughs> come help. And so uh, I've got a really, at least personally, I think is a really cool idea uh, for that encounter and to hopefully not just make it a combat encounter, but make it kind of an interesting psychological social encounter as well. That could be so, good. 
yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that. But my, uh, my other game that I, I play in is actually happening on Sunday. So I'm super pumped. We had our first session for that uh, a few weeks ago. I'm playing the, the custom class in that. Oh, uh, right. uh, it's, it's going pretty well so far. It's the, the custom class is kind of this hybrid uh, spellcaster melee class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's been fun so far. Uh, the other three guys, uh, we we all meshed really well. The DM did a good job. It's very his very first time DMing a campaign. He's only done one one shot before, so he did really good. You could tell he's a little nervous, but it, he he did a great job. He had music going for it. He had his he even had this little like blood stained quote blood stained note that we found that he actually handed the guy. And so I'm, he's, he's going all in, which, which really uh, makes me, makes me super happy. That's awesome. You know, that, that's the one thing about playing over the internet that I'm a little bummed about is that I can't do like, um, you know, visceral puzzles and stuff where they can actually get their, get their hands on it and, and do things. And um, I would definitely be doing scrolls and, and, and writing out that out a whole bunch more stuff. And, you know, do what I can to, to write in Dwarven script just because I always think it looks so cool. So I'm sure there's a website out there that does translate like a Dwarven translate. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I know there is. Elvish I've seen them. all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there, uh, there's, there's some really cool, cool things you can do. So looking forward to, to those games, looking forward to hearing more stories as we, as we go through. Um, but with that, our time is about up. Um, but we do have some really cool things. Yes. So Ben, why don't you tell us all about it? Uh, well, we've been uh, kind of you know working uh, in the the background and everything, trying to get everything all set up uh, since you know you, the, the first and second episode are out by now. But uh, we're lagging a little behind on release date because we're trying to get everything all set up and prepped and pretty and good looking and stuff. Well, now if you go to dndiscussions.com, I think it's looking pretty swanky. And on top of that, I would agree. If you're listening to it there, you can also find us on iTunes and Google. We're working on Spotify. We're getting a weird error, but we're going to get it there too. By the time you listen to it, it might be here. There's a good shot. Cause I'm going to be emailing Spotify and saying, Hey, what's up? But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all excited. <laughs> we got it all set up. And uh, so Hey, it's going to be on your, your feeds. So make sure to subscribe. Let us know what you think. And you can do that by sending an email to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Nice segue. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want us to respond a little bit sooner, though, make sure to tag us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Uh, very easy to find. Uh, I know I'm going to have it in my profile page. I'm assuming you're probably going to add it there, too. And if you want to find me, you can find me. I am at Ben Bumhofer. And Ryan, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord. And both of us, of course, are always uh, more than happy to chat anything D&D with anyone because that's what we like to do. Exactly. Uh, Just like this game is a lot of fun, this show is a lot of fun. Ryan, thank you very much for joining me on this wonderful episode of DN Discussions. Thank you, Ben. I... (laughs) This is, this is one of the highlights of the week when we record. So I'm looking forward to doing more episodes. And as always, uh, like you said, if you have any questions, if you want a, cu- a specific topic covered, 
shoot us an email, shoot us a tweet. We'd love to do it because there is a massive amount of potential things we could cover. And so narrowing it down is always helpful um, because it's stuff you guys want to hear about. Exactly. So make sure to tune in for next episode, uh, Tortle or Tortolan, WoW or D&D. <laughs> Probably. Uh, well that's gonna be it for us tonight we will see you guys next time until then take care be good to each other bye everybody